Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Well, hello, hello, hello. It's 2023 and it's episode 61, I believe, of the Enterprise Digital Podcast. And um, sounding like Captain Kirk there, Stardate, whatever. Here we go again, and we're another year of podcasting. Welcome to Ian. How are you doing, Ian? Are you oh. ready for another year of podcast joy? Yes. Happy New Year to you and both of our listeners. Happy New Happy. Year. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be great to be back after a short break, eating too much turkey and drinking too much of everything. I, I can say that I didn't eat any turkey at all. We didn't have turkey, so that's a uh, quite pleased about that. I'm, I'm not a massive turkey fan, but. Um, had a nice break anyway, and looking forward to another year of exciting stuff in the world of service management. We're ready for another year. We, we, we continue with our traditions, and one of those is, Ian, that you come fully prepared with trivia. And yes, I've got to start us with something. Have you got uh, some of that today? It easy to ease us into a, a podcast. So I'm going to ask you a question, Barclay. Do you know what PFAS compounds are? PFAS compounds. I mm. know. Uh, I, I, I have to. I have to say, I don't. Yeah, uh, well, they're they're interesting and relevant actually to to all of us. PFAS compounds are a complex group of chemicals which were manufactured in the 1940s first and have been used since then in things like cosmetics and cookware and textiles and all sorts of things. Now, the reason they are important is they're often referred to as forever chemicals because these are the bad ones which once introduced into the environment, into the waterways, into, into the world, they present a risk to human health and biodiversity, things like affecting animals and people and their health forever, and it's impossible to destroy these things. Now, here's the really good news. Why am I telling you about this, you wonder? why? One, I am wondering, doing? yes. Yeah, because everyone was worried about these. Well, recently, the news came out just in the last few days uh, that scientists, uh, it's always the scientists and quite right, have invented a new way to destroy these forever chemicals. And they can destroy 95% of them in 45 minutes in the tests that they've been doing. Now, that may sound fairly minor and insignificant. It's potentially very significant to all of our future health if they have invented a way to make them temporary chemicals and not forever chemicals that's really really good news so one to look out for hidden in the news there well that is a cheerful that's a cheerful end to the story i was feeling it was going down a hole oh, no, it's a good one it's one of those little good news stories it's like oh look out for that that's great absolutely could we apply the same to forever processes and forever slas could we break them down in just 45 minutes i mean would you have an sla for how long it takes as well i mean if it's 95 percent within 45 minutes, that sounds like a, a reasonable yes. SLA. What yes. about the other 5%? Are the other 5% those that are cause most problems, perhaps? Which tends oh, I don't to... have that level of detail with me. So maybe we better move on before you expose the fact that I've only got the headline and a bit of text on this great story. If you take well, me any deeper, I'll be looking foolish. Maybe we have a guest on today's show, Barkley. Have we got a guest? We do have a guest. And <laughs> uh, it's um, welcome for the new year and to the podcast to David Barrow. David, welcome. Um, how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you, gents. Uh, happy New Year to you both. To you. Happy New Year to you and welcome to the podcast. I know that we were 
due to record before, but you were overcome with, a for, well, hopefully not forever. I mean, the theme of this podcast is going to be forever things now, forever. <laughs> Discuss forever podcasts. Forever so questions from Barclay. They go on so long. You, you are. Answer. You had a bit of a lurgy, so are you are you recovered from that and all set to um, take on the year with a new level of service management? I am. I've, I've fought off the man for acts. I've, I've uh, valiantly recovered from it. I'm good to go. Excellent. Well, we do have one or two um, listeners out there, and just like to give them give you the opportunity to just tell them a little bit about yourself. Um, You've recently, I mean, we'll talk a little bit in a moment, you've recently um, had a, a best practice book published, which we'll, we'll talk about the content of that. Briefly, what, what sort of things do you do? Where where have you come from in terms of industry and experience and so on? Sure. So I'm um, currently an enterprise service management consultant. I'm self-employed. Um, I've been working in, I guess you'd call it IT, information technology, but I prefer to call it service. Um, so IT service related roles for 30 years this year, actually. And my industry experience is, is vast as a result. Um, I've worked um, for the first 20 odd years of my career in outsourcing. So working in lots of different places in lots of different industries for the likes of IBM and um, Capgemini. Um, and then in the last few years, I've been applying what I've learned from what I've done well, but also my failures as an independent consultant and now been able to apply and, and note down some of that as an author and a speaker, IT and enterprise service management. Well, you're on the right podcast. We have somebody that does enterprise <laughs> service management. Excellent. That's that's great to know. And just briefly, we'll just mention, so you, your book has just been published, which is on what exactly? Um, it's on co-creating value in organisations. Um, the book is themed around using ITIL4, um, predominantly yep. the guiding principles, but its content reflects a lot on previous iterations of ITIL, as well as discussing other methodologies and how you can blend approaches to, to co-create value. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a very valuable set of topics for our podcast, particularly within the enterprise service management context and we'll go on to talk about what we really mean by co-creating value but for now welcome to the podcast thank you for having me okay let's dive right in and i'm going to ask you that first question put you on the spot when we talk about co-creating value what do we mean? But I mean, we've got stuff in ITO 4. I was there. I was in the room when we did all that stuff. Brilliant. But I know it's also a concept that's been around for a long time in different contexts. So what do we really mean by this? And, and, and why should we think of it as something different, you know, to, compared to what we've done before? You mentioned that you referenced previous versions of ITO and so on. Were we so, never creating value before? Obviously not. <laughs> Definitely not. But, you know, looking at it from the perspective of how we do this going forward, what do we really mean by co-creating value? Well, I think the, the, the place to start with value co-creation is, is around continual improvement. And actually, I'd like to just start with a, a brief history according to me lesson. Now, this may not be factually completely correct, but it's, it's historically fairly close. So... 
if we're talking about how we co-create value, we need to look at how we've delivered information technology services in the past. And you know, our industry is maybe 80 years old, eight zero, um, going back to the war, where predominantly information technology was used to help with the war effort in terms of cracking code. It wasn't until after this point that it started to come into organizations to facilitate, you know, rather transactional services. And in the last 40 years, and certainly in the last 30 since the advent of the internet, information technology has weaved its way into every fabric of life. Now, why this is relevant to both value co-creation and enterprise service management is because at the beginning, we were exploiting IT for what it could offer us organizationally. And as we, as IT matured, we were we using it for what it could offer us. But then IT started to become almost a a darkened way of working that then forced itself into the organization. You will need to run your payroll. You will need to run your month end and we can make it happen for you. Not necessarily, how do we make it happen for you? Because you don't know that because we're the IT people. So enterprise service management and value co-creation is about that we're in this generation now and have been for a while, to be honest, where we've got people that have been doing this for a long time. You know, for half almost, maybe more of, of actually the industry's history. You've not got any cobblers that have been doing it for thousands of years, although you've got a lot of lessons you can learn from those thousands of years. What we've got is the originators doing the work, and now we can start learning. But added to that, we've also got a generation of people that digital is just their life. And so how we co-create value is that we're no longer the de facto experts in the delivery of digital services because people can use them every day. We might be the experts in designing those services. We could even be the experts in measuring those services and possibly we're the experts in improving those services. But we rely on our consumers, our customers, our fellow employees and colleagues to inform us how they feel we can do that. And for me, that's the difference between what we were doing, which was we were exploiting and then and then basically giving to where we are today, which is we need to work together to deliver services that consumers can truly get a great experience from because they both have their feet. And that for me is why we must so really the, bang the drum about co-creation. So the, the value that I'll say IT was providing before, and maybe it's broader than that, but the value that was being provided before was prescribed dare i say dictated enforced and what you're saying is over recent years and this is going back a few years now isn't it you know three mm -hmm. five years maybe more there's been a transition to more of an understanding that you don't just force it on a business and tell them these are the tools you need to do your job you have to connect with the people that are doing their jobs to design and evolve the technology and the, the services they need to do the jobs the best possible way. Is that, am I on the right path there? Absolutely. It's about how we enable the organization to deliver what it's aimed to deliver. And, and therefore it's why for me, IT service management has to be enterprise service management because for us to co-create that value, we need to be having conversations across the organization across the enterprise at all levels. And only by doing that do we get a true understanding of what the organization wants and needs, but also 
and using our expertise, we can actually contribute towards those strategic conversations and then deliver those to effective enterprise service management. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely along, along the right lines. And, and I come a bit as well from my point of view of when I worked in outsourcing, which was a service you purchase from an outsourcer based on a certain set of criteria, and that's what you got. It was really flexible to the customer's moving desires. It was really flexible to changes in the world. It was, that's what you pay for, that's what you get. And it was one of the driving reasons for me wanting to become independent was so I could step out of that and actually offer advice, knowledge, expertise in some cases, which was relevant to that organization and its people, as opposed to being relevant to rightly in that case, relevant to the organization I worked for solely. And that's the difference I see with value and value co-creation. There's one aspect of that I just want to explore briefly because you mentioned the uh, managed services part and I do work with a lot of managed services organizations in various guises but one of the problems that I keep coming around to and, and you've kind of answered it in terms of what you what you laid out there as being the goal of this but it's still really quite challenging is is the fact that the vast majority of managed services organizations and the contracts that they have with their clients that I see are with the IT people in those customer organizations, not with the business of those. It actually seems to work better, actually, in the smaller businesses, you know, SMEs, where they are just dealing directly with the business or there's one IT person or something, and actually that they are there to do other things. When you're dealing with enterprise to enterprise, you're one or maybe two steps removed again from the people that actually would be making a judgment on the value that they're getting and in fact would be the the real ones to be co-creating value rather than effectively two IT organizations working together to co-create value. I mean, is that something that you recognize and and do you think that this discussion on co-creation of value will help to move that forward a bit? I certainly recognize it. My last few engagements working for an outsourcer were spent on customer site. So you, you end up develop, you know, developing an affinity for your customer. You get you get a good understanding of your customer, their wants, their needs, and their desires, but you also know commercially you can't necessarily fulfill those. Also being on site, um, especially in, in sort of smaller sites, you, you get to know as you say, the, the business people, the people that are actually using these services. And, and also now you, you get to see their consumers. So in, in one organization, all I needed to do was go onto Twitter to see what their consumers were thinking of the services that we were providing them indirectly. And that's, again, just a, a, a few layers is like peeling back the onion where you're, 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 you want to start co-creating that value. Now, we were able to make some really significant changes without kind of changing the commercial construct, but we couldn't take great leaps of strategic um, intent and, and design because that wasn't what we were paid for. And and that the, for me, the, the co-creation of value is something that we shift as far left into what we would call the life cycle of a digital service as possible. And that for me means 
having those conversations at the strategic level so that we we know that what we're designing you, you spoke to Karen Bush a few episodes ago where she said the same service design now, now is is moving is moving left so that you're you're looking at appetite for risk you're looking at strategic intent you're looking at possible innovation as opposed to just this is a product or service that we want and it must look like this and it must be this fast and this available the, the world is changing our industry is absolutely changing with it, it it's trying to keep pace that's the difficult thing and that's that's the co-creation piece getting that understanding and also that two-way communication that the you know, essentially says we'll do everything we can and other different ways we can do these things. If I may, I'm uh, I'm thinking how to structure this in my head as I as I talk about this. Obviously, my background, David, from the particularly from the vendor side, both digital experience and and service management, ITSM and ESM. But my my background is around building technologies that are provided to customers. And those customers use them for for a purpose. And what you what you're describing there is interesting because I can see a parallel with the journey that the I'll say the service management industry particularly, and maybe others too, has been through. But I see a difference, and I just wonder if there's a, a time lag between these two. So you you were talking there, David, about how co-creation of value is about recognizing it's not cookie cutter, not cookie and you can't just provide pre-built but you've got to recognize everybody's difference and you've got to tailor the right valuable service for people now for vendors if you go back maybe i don't know 20 years not that old might be (laughs) not uh, the tools and technologies that were around then to help with things like service management as a example were highly configurable they were lego building blocks they were blank sheets of paper with tools that let you draw and design and build things from zero and large and very mature and complex organizations loved that. And they'd say, no, we're unique. We don't want you to give us a cookie cutter solution. We want you to give us a toolkit and work with us and let us design the thing that gives us the best value. So in a way it was almost like a a form of early co-creation value. Now, problem with that came over time that some organizations would take all of these tools and toolkits and they weren't actually very good at building something with it. So they get some help from consultants, but even so they might end up with something unwieldy or complex or ugly or difficult to use because they're not experts in building this. They, they took a solution and used it. The other is as more and more organizations want this, increasingly they don't have the, the time and the resources and people to build uniquely for them so they start to come back and say well just give us your cookie cutter actually just give us something that gets us started because we need value so i think the question i'm asking you is is there a a balance between co-creation of value and time to value absolutely and i I think co-creation of value works in, in in a couple of ways one is that you you offer something and it's well received. Another thing is that something is desired, and actually, it's not the right thing. And it's very difficult sometimes to express that this maybe isn't the right thing for yes. the organisation. Less choice and saying no are things that are yes. essential. Yeah, giving value. You have less choice. My iPhone gives me less choice than my Android. It has a faster time to value. And Absolutely. no, you can't root your iPhone and hack it and apply scripts. No, you can't do that. When you're focusing on value, it's it's 
it's a, there's a few layers to that, obviously, like you say, there's the what do you want and then when would you like it by? And without being too prescriptive around the guiding principles that I talk about in the publication, that's where something like to start where you are is so useful. Because if you understand where you are and where you want to get to and how long and how much you want to invest in getting there, it can actually really inform where the value is. And I think the benefit of the experiences that I and others, and this is why I talked about the, the, the age of the industry and those within it, is that there's a lot of people walking around with the scars of both that highly customizable set of tools, which maybe were configured inappropriately and resorted in them to go back to out of the box, as well as those that have gone out of the box and never really moved forward because they didn't really look at where they wanted to be. They only understood where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the great things about ITIL, isn't it? It's almost our get-out clause, continual improvement. It's, yes, it's encouraging people to keep revisiting what they're doing. Don't just settle for your first plateau of value, however you apply that context, but don't just settle, but revisit, 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 continually improve, continually enhance, continually change. Absolutely. And and I always, it's, it's an odd couple of scenarios, but I always talk about, and I think uh, David Cannon does something similar, there are scenarios where the same thing can offer different value so ordering food um, or eating food the experience that you desire from a fast food chain is one of expediency um, you still want tasty food but you understand it's not going to be amazing um, you understand it's probably going to be wrapped in a bag but you're going to get it in a minute you can have a very different experience with, with essentially a very similar product in terms of food with fine dining but you're not going to be happy unless you're in Shoreditch maybe in London if it comes in a paper bag um, you're, you're going to want you're going to want great service you're going to want lovely cutlery you, you know you're going to want an experience the two things are fundamentally the same you are eating but your desire and your value has changed depending on the scenario and and that can exist in organisations I, I work in organisations and this comes back to the enterprise question where an organization I'm currently working with has several departments, one of which is highly innovative and has to be because of the consumer environment it works in, whilst another department is highly regulated because it has to be because of the consumer environment it works in. You cannot apply the same value to both, but what you can do is you can find out what works in one that could work in the other. And you can do that by bringing together that enterprise view through, through the reduction of silo so that people are speaking with one another to actually understand where you don't need a brand new service that exists over here. And it will be the time to market and the value will be exactly what you need or it will be very close to what you need. And is that a good enough value statement for you? All too often in our industry, people are just coming up with an idea and just saying, right, we're going to create something new. But there's just so much out there that, that we can use and reuse. That, that's, that's kind of my thing is the, the way that I like to co-create value is to build communities. And, and those communities in organizations that exist with people from across the whole organization and also their supply network. I'm, I'm stealing that from Siam. I have you know, the concept of the service integrated bringing people together yeah. bringing organizations together to, de- to deliver valuable services to the end client 
the communities to be the same. And, and that's a, a topic that's within the publication, but that, that for me is where you can really start to generate value in the so, so if I can just take you on to that a little bit more then, and without going too much into the weeds of ITIL, ITIL 4 mm -hmm. or whatever, but when we created the guiding principles as part of the ITIL practitioner book before ITIL 4, and that, that was really out of a desire to have some very simple, you know, simple propositions that people could say that they hung on to. And actually what we came up with was something that was quite global and generic in many ways, um, but not necessarily, you know, but, but really valuable in relation to ITIL um, because it was getting away from the cookie cutter approach, context is everything. When we had um, Simon Wardley on a few weeks ago, he was talking, you know, it did really kind of open the minds for a lot of thinking about how we how we approach things, you know, and, and actually proximity and context are two things that we very often don't represent enough in our representation of our thinking. We might actually have it out there, but once we actually put it down on paper, it makes such a difference. And we've gone on to talk about things like value streams and, and so on. Um, I'm interested to know what in your book, because the book is specifically about values co-creation using ITIL 4. And when it came to ITIL 4, what we specifically were thinking of was, and, and in terms of application, how we would then define and measure value. So traditionally we measured technology capability, service availability, infrastructure, whatever was there. Nobody cares about that. The, the bit was when it's used, you know, analogy in the, in the book is there, it, you know, the railway network is useless on its own. It's a train passing through it that actually where the value happens. I'm interested to know how you're taking that forward with your book. You know, so what specifically are you seeing as being what's the co-creation using ITIL four part of this? Before I say that, I must I must tell you that when I did I did the ITIL practitioner back in 2015, I think it was out there, and I made. You <laughs> just reminded me. I recall making the trainers' life valid by saying, "You're calling this practitioner, but it's not the way it works," because I was still looking at ITIL from kind of a governance-led way of working I and and also I, I worked I still just about working in outsourcing then and I, I remember thinking what are these things this focus on value and so on this it's all pie in the sky um and obviously it's not but in terms of none of us, none of us wanted it to be called practitioner by the way that was a political decision but anyway oh, okay it's interesting yeah I was definitely coming at it from that this is how it works in in uh but in terms of the the measurement, so whenever whenever we build a community, the community starts off by talking about what value means to the people within it, and and anybody that joins that community answers that question, and they can answer it from many perspectives. It might be their personal perspective, but more often than not, because you're in a work environment, it it becomes a work perspective. Um, so you get to learn a lot about somebody by asking them that question. I also, in recent engagements, the last four or four, I've been really lucky to work at Steel and, and, and to, to meet execs in the organisation. So I've been able to ask them the same question. But I've also been able to ask them what's the organisational strategy. Without being too unfair, what I normally find is that the answer to that second question, what is the strategy, is often very different person to person. So I'm, I'm immediately able to 
understand that if, if it's not quite joined up at, at that level, how could it be joined up for those working within the organization? But interestingly, the focus on value, that the what does value mean to you question is often broadly similar. Um, I want a great experience. I want my customers to be delighted. We want to reduce CO2 emissions. There's, there's, there's a lot of unsustainability at the moment. So you can see the way the organization's thinking. When we build the community, we translate that into a charter. So that charter becomes the things we're going to track and measure. And predominantly, it's got nothing to do with service availability or, or any of those things. Mm. It's all built around that person and that group's understanding of the strategy. Do you understand the organization's strategy and goals mm. for the next 12 months? Are you aware of the organization's communication path and policies? Sounds like an odd thing, but you don't know what marketing is going out into the into the outside world how can you design services that, that can meet that another one is is would you recommend it's an mbf question would you recommend this organization and when you're working to a friend and we start with things like that and then we build that charter we evolve that charter so we're continually changing what we measure as we progress and, and one of the things one of the biggest successes that we found in terms of measurement is looking at services and breaking them down into component parts. And again, you choose those component parts based on the organization, but I'll give you a few examples. The one may be, do we have the skills required to support that service? Is it supported by a single person who's got 40 year old skills and is about to retire? Or is it bleeding edge and we've got nobody in the organization that has the skills to support it? Now, it might be that the service is up and running and always available. What happens when it is no longer up and running? That service can be classified as fragile. That doesn't mean it's broken. It just means we need to handle it with care. And when we go and pursue that exercise, and you can pick a few services as proof of concept, always try and pick something new, try and pick something old, and then try and pick the crown jewel of the organization. Once you start digging underneath, are we aware of our commercial requirements? Do we know our regulatory requirements? Are our suppliers coming to every service review, as an example? And the answer is no, no, and no. You've got a fragile service, but what that allows you to do is to go and improve that service before it breaks, therefore reducing the chance of it breaking and improving the service experience from, from multiple viewpoints. So they're the kind of measures that, that we look at. And in one organization, two organizations now actually, those charters, that community have spawned off a, a role um, which we've christened the service quality manager. So that's somebody that sits across the service lifecycle and just gets involved in those qualitative communications, keeps people switched on to what good looks like but also they understand what good looks like in the context of that service and its desired value-focused outcomes. And that role now has embedded itself in one organization and is embedding itself in another. And it's also a really great role, those people that are hovering between service delivery manager and business relationship manager and product owner, because they can do pretty much all three in that role or aspects of. So I know I've moved on to roles for measurements, but what I was trying to illustrate was is that those type of measurements generate outcomes that focus on value.
So that I mean that's interesting because there's quite a diverse set of thoughts around this at the moment. There's a there's experience <laughs> management. No, no, I, I mean in the industry, experience management movement, XLAs and so on. There's the sorts of things that you've been saying there about how we measure. So if outcomes are focused on value, then that that's 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 a very good progression, I think, of that thinking. Because for me, there's always going to be the not just the experience, but the outcomes as well. And if you're saying actually the experience is how we consume the outcomes or how we are presented with the outcomes. We're getting quite um, strategic there. Do you have an example of that? Do, would you have a specific example just to put that into context as to how you might yeah. define that with somebody that where they're talking about the outcome the value that's in the outcome put it that way i'm completely taking this from the experience movement um neil keating at black horse around the building and experience level stacks so you obviously have an xla which is you know, your, your satisfaction with service but we've built stacks that contain that question but then they contain a little more underneath around is that service relevant for your role does that service enable you to perform your role is the equipment you're provided the correct equipment to deliver your objective and sorry that's to people who are users customers yeah consumers of the service yeah yeah so and uh, so you're, you're you're asking them the, the top level question of what, what was the experience but then you're you're drilling down to more organizational related mm-hmm. questions around those services and you know, from there you can decide well was that service designed correctly does it require redesign or is it absolutely on point is the equipment we're providing relevant are, are we are we giving people enough that they can do their job properly and this is the great thing about building communities where you, you've got people from across the organization involved. It's on the communities that I build, we've got people from people in culture, marketing, finance, sales. We've had the CEO on there. We've got the, we've got the help desk who joined from, from the, the supplier. Everybody's hearing these messages and then we can go and wrap up experience that then try to deliver those outcomes. So the, it's the, not- the community factor is where a lot of the the co and co-creation value comes from by connecting with all those people bringing them into a physical or virtual community uh you're able to understand their perspective on what works and what doesn't work as well as you know all the other things that you can measure and assess and understand but it gives you that that unique dimension as well let me pivot the conversation very slightly, but you mentioned a few times, of course, where we all started on this podcast, which was around enterprise service management. And that community involves people from across the enterprise, and they're all building value to make them more productive at what they do, which is very important. But a lot of our conversation has been from the context of IT, bringing these to the enterprise. Also, when we talk ESM, we talk about other business functions offering their services to other business functions, marketing offering services to sales, HR offering services to the whole organization, whatever it may be. Do you think there's a similar community co-creation value story and and value <laughs> that you can take into other departments to help them build their services that are not at all IT related? Do you think there's something there? Absolutely. So the communities that I've built have spawned off other communities from within the organization. So in one organization, People in culture now have a community that's built around new joiners, starters, leaders. 
So people from across the organization who have different pressures, different needs, there's call centers in this organization. They've obviously got a fairly high turnover and also they bring in seasonal workers. Um, there's, there's people that work in travel in the organization. They've got um, a turnover that's also fairly high, um, but also requires maybe a little more understanding of the person's background. So this community is now able to go and gather this information and then continually improve that aspect. And we have people from IT on that community who can then go and work on the service that delivers that and enable that to happen. So absolutely yeah. is the short answer. So I'm also building a community outside of organizations now. So I'm, I'm, I'm a mentor for women in technology and we're, we're building a community there that's focused on developing careers for women in technology in service management. And so I think the, the collaboration aspect, you're absolutely right. That is the, that is the co and the co-creating value as the community. It's, it's not easy to build. It's not 100% successful, but it gives you a much better shot of success than it, if you never did it in the first place. I think that's a really good just point to round off then. So it is about collaboration, community. I noticed something I think I saw on social media about the women in technology thing, which I think is really interesting. And maybe you could give us some links. We can stick on the notes about that. But yes, so really we are just talking about how we really work together more than work as quasi suppliers or, or real suppliers. Even but on the other foot, the suppliers have to work as quasi colleagues, if you like, whilst the colleagues have to work as colleagues, not quasi suppliers. Um, Absolutely. Okay, I uh, look forward to seeing what's in the, the book, David. It sounds really interesting stuff, taking it to the next level. I shall look out for that. But for now, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Really appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it. We're not done yet. That was a a journey of um, experience and collaboration and all sorts of things went a number of different ways. How do people get hold of you, David, first of all? Just what's the, where will they find you? Well, LinkedIn's probably where I'm most active, but I'm happy to share my email as well. Okay. I've got my own podcast called It's All About Choices, but that's uh, that's more of a careers thing. So. And everybody has, everybody has a podcast these days. Um, <laughs> And we've just been invited onto, onto another one. Um, so now is the time to talk about how you would co-create value in a bar. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very good, Barclay. That was excellent. Really, really good. So uh, if you could only ever drink one drink forever, where we started, forever chemicals, forever drinks, and you would recommend that perfect drink to our audience who do love a drink. They, they let us know they love a drink. Uh, what would that drink be, David? What would be your forever drink? I'm, I'm a really simple man um and it's guinness guinness very good any particular out but that's the first time we've had the brand name called out and um... it's okay (laughs) but i mean is that i mean do you prefer it in ireland the water's different or or... oh absolutely i think the best part of guinness i've ever had is in new york but Ireland was close the the good thing about guinness in terms of co-creating value is it's everywhere you, you struggle to walk into a bar and not see Guinness. The, the, again, the, the quality may vary. It means I'm always safe to get the drink. Okay. Well, I'm sure never time, the next time we see you, next time I run into you in 
Pret a manger or whatever. We'll <laughs> see if we can get a Guinness there. But for now, thank you very much. We'll look out for the co creation of value. Just a reminder as well we've had a few questions come in in the last week or so since our last podcast, but we're looking for more external feedback from you or questions or anything that you'd like to add or, or inquire about on the podcast. Um, maybe, maybe from the next episode, we could start addressing some of those questions at the at the end of the show or at the beginning. Oh. I think do, do we have to answer them? Oh, yes, Dan. of course. Yes. We're just asking questions. Point. And remind, remind us, what's the email address, Barkley? It's enterprisedigitalpodcast.com. It's the one. Um, no, that's, not, that's, that's not an email address, is it? Enterprise. Oh, at Gmail. At Gmail. Yeah, sorry. At gmail.com. Enterprisedigitalpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so that's our forever address and our forever podcast on enterprise service management and forever co-creating value. It's come to an end. David, thank you very much. We'll see you again. Uh, Ian, as ever, thank you. And we'll see you next time on the podcast. Thank you so much.